All right. Hello. Welcome to the Continental Writing Club. Welcome back. Yay. This week, hopefully, uh, though some of the listeners could not hear the amount of auditory issues we had, hopefully this week we have less, so even Mm -hmm. if you didn't notice. Or fewer. It feels better this time. It does. I promise. Yes. Yes. No pressure on on time. Yeah. Well, a little pressure on time. A little pressure on time. Yeah, we build these things into our lives, so. If there's no suffering and no tension, how do you know what's hard? Yeah, exactly. It's true. Well, who wants that life? Who wants that easy? You wouldn't suffer. You would have no pain. You would have no shame. (laughs) What was that? That weird little uh, dolphin. (laughs) Dolphin. No dolphins. (laughs) No dolphins. There's like, I'm sorry, I've been spending so much time with my cats. They make that noise when they look at birds outside. I was kind of just stuttering over myself and it just happened. It's uh, predatory. Yeah, that's what like it is. Like me. I'm an apex predator. It's not awkward. It's predatory. Mm-hmm. That's exactly how I sell it. Okay. Moving on. Yeah. So, <laughs> hi. Uh, in case you can't tell our voices apart, or if you can and you want to know who's who, um, I'm Brenna, and today I'm drinking a Total Domination IPA from Ninkasi, which is a delicious brewing company. Uh, I'm Amy, and I'm drinking an absolutely stellar uh, Kroger seltzer water. Lemon flavored. Oh, yeah. Kruger. Kruger? Kroger. 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 It's Kroger. Kroger. It's only one O. I I literally thought it was a U with Noomlot. I've been calling him Kruger. <laughs> like Freddy Kruger, I guess. I guess I just replaced it with something more exciting in my brain. That way, when I'm buying for a discount and a deal, I'm like, it's a deal, but it's also exciting and dangerous. Ooh, yeah. these Kruger, Kruger, tater tots might just stab me in my dreams. <laughs> anyway, this is Reagan. If you couldn't tell. Uh, and I'm sad and not drinking anything. Why am I not drinking anything? I don't know. Do you want to grab me a beer? There's another beer. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe I should. Yeah, that sounds it's like a It's going to be a long, dry desert between here and my story. Yeah. I probably have beverage. So let's try your introduction again, but this time when you have a beer. I think my previous introduction was just fine. Squeaky floor. Squeaky shoes. I'm just squeaky. Okay. Give them the squeaks. Give them. Anyway, this is Reagan, and I am also drinking in Ninkasi. I always want to say Ninkasi. <laughs> Ninkasi. Ninkasi Total Domination IPA. Why am I always on the blooper reel? <laughs> Why do I say so many dumb things? <laughs> Why do I sing so much? <laughs> you just make my job easier. Ah. <laughs> really? Alright, uh, so if this is your first time listening, the this is a group of three ladies who are given three prompts every two weeks, and we have to write 500 words minimum. at minimum. Minimum, yeah. Uh, based off of those prompts. Uh, there is no requirement to finish your story, if for some reason it's just, you, you stopped. Um, there's, yeah, there's really no other requirements. Yeah, we, and really it was just to get started writing, and guess what? We've been doing this a while now. Yeah. Pretty exciting. And so, short fiction every two weeks. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and this week's prompts were by Brenna. I did them. I made it up. Um, and they were... Hold on, let me pull up my phone, because I have it, like, right here. So, this week's... Did you move? No. Okay. <laughs> so, this week's prompts were for me. Um, and the prompts were to write a story where someone falls in love, 
uh, to write a story from the point of view of the reader and to write a story with a new monster. Um, and since I did the prompts, I believe, Amy, it's your turn to start us off. It is, in fact, my turn to start us off. Um, so I I picked two of the prompts. Um, I, I wanted to write about a new monster, and I, I also wrote about someone falling in love. I have a question before we get into that. Just when you guys write about two things, I feel like you guys tend to broach two subjects more often than I do. Yeah. Does, is it accidental? Does it just kind of happen as you're writing or do you intentionally do it? I think it just kind of happens. If I come up with a, with a plot for a story and it's like, oh, this, this actually works for both of them. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then I'll try and like put both into it my process is like i'll read over the prompts and i'll see if anything like jumps out at me like that resonates or Mm -hmm. connects and then i'll sit with it and i'll like think about the story for a few days before i actually write it um and then often if i'm like thinking about a couple of prompts that maybe equally resonated i'm like oh these are i see how these are overlapping like i see how these can be all part of one story okay yeah i i usually just one of them usually resonates with me and then if I, it, it's usually accidental if it happens for me. So. Nice. Which I think it's only happened once. It was like barely even noted a check for the other category. Anyway, moving on. Sorry, diversion. No, it's fine. Um, yeah, so so that, that was my inspiration for the story. This one has a title, which is unusual. Yes, it is. I think this was because when we were doing this originally, I think E. Regan had made a comment about how I never title any of my stuff. And it wasn't necessarily about titling, because I don't title mine, but I put the header at the top of the paper for the prompt. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, when we look at your story, you would just go straight in, hard break, page, and then story. So yeah, I did, I think, comment on, like, it just starts right into the story. It's so abrupt. Yeah. And it made you think of a title? No, I I just decided that I would would put it in this time. I'm not consistent, because I know... That I have gone back and yeah. forth between yeah. titling mine and not titling mine. But. I still don't title mine. Um, anyway, so this one is research. Oh god, Janelle said, clutching her ears as she entered the room. What is that sound? Arthur looked up from his desk. It's not a sound, he replied, sounding very disagreeable. If it was, these earplugs would be doing a damn sight more than they are. Which is nothing. Looking at him, you could see the bulbous foam bullets sticking out of either ear. I tried putting muffs on, too, but no go. She pulled up a chair, swinging it around so she could rest her arms against the back of it. I thought the thing was inert. I'm assuming that's what's responsible. He shrugged. Best guess? Nothing else in the damn place is new enough. I don't know what it could be. Janelle craned her neck to look at the observation glass that lined the far wall. As usual, there wasn't much to see, just a shifting of color tones. Every time she had walked in for the past month, it had been varying shades of blue and green, with even the occasional pink, but now it had taken a sickly turn. It made her a bit nauseous to look at. Do we know what brought it on? He shook his head. No idea. We were making real progress trying to get it to communicate. Carly thought she had actually gotten it to respond to simple greetings, but then it just went haywire. Now it's screaming. Screaming was not quite how she would put it, but there was no better way to describe the grating, high-pitched sensation that was scratching at her eardrums. Well, what does Dr. Hino say? Arthur gave a long-suffering sigh. He's not responding to his phone. He's probably drunk at the strip club again. 
Janelle cringed. I thought about talking to the source, but we're not supposed to interact without he knows or White's okay. And White just left to go on vacation in France, Janelle continued his line of thought, wrinkling her nose. Well, what, we're just supposed to suffer our shifts with this? Arthur shrugged. That's what I've been doing for ten fucking hours now. Janelle watched as he went back to his computer, a few spreadsheets open next to a small window where he played a ported old-school RPG. He quickly finished up entering a few points of data, saved everything, and logged off. All you, he stood quickly, grabbing his backpack off the floor and pulling a tattered coat on. My notes are in the log. See you tomorrow. He was gone before she could think of anything else to ask. Well, that's what happens when you come in for the 4 a.m. shift. No one wanted to stick around longer than necessary. Janelle logged on, pulling open the logs to peruse them before settling in for the pre-dawn portion of her shift. It was a Sunday morning, so she wasn't going to get much interaction as the day progressed either. Her relief wasn't due to show up until the afternoon, so she was stuck with psychic shrieking for the next seven hours. She lasted exactly 47 minutes before she decided something had to be done. Spinning herself out of her seat, she walked briskly across the room to the set of doors next to the glass. One of them led to the room with the thing, and had a biometric lock she wasn't coded for. The other led to a small cell, and this one required a simple six-digit code for her to enter. The girl inside wasn't sleeping. Instead, she was curled up on the cot, barely more comfortable than sleeping on cement, staring listlessly at the wall that separated her from the observation room. She looked as though she hadn't showered in days, hair greasy and hanging flat against her skull. The large gray sweater was pulled over her knees, cocooning her. Hi there, Janelle said, pulling the folding chair that sat in front of a folding table that worked as the desk for the girl. You should be sleeping. The girl shrugged, or gave the impression of shrugging. There wasn't much movement, and she didn't bother to look at Janelle. Not tired. Have you slept at all? Another suggested shrug. Hard to tell in here. The girl's standard of living had never been anything remotely acceptable by normal standards, so Janelle decided not to comment on it. How about eating? She looked at the tray of food that sat on the floor by the foot of the cot. It looked like a fork had drifted through it before being put down. Not hungry. Janelle hummed. You should have some anyway, even if just a few bites. The girl, in a feat most teenagers have accomplished at some point, managed to throw herself to the side and retrieve the tray, all without pulling her legs free of the sweater. She took a bite of the stale-looking bread roll, put a few pieces of grayish broccoli in her mouth, and then returned herself to her previous position. Everything okay? Janelle asked, a bit concerned and a bit bemused. You seem, I don't know, down. The queen of intimated shrugs continued her reign. Fine. She played with one of the hood strings, shredding and recombining the stringy ends. Bored. I'm sorry, I guess since Dr. White went on vacation, you haven't had as much interaction as usual. The shrieking increased, and Janelle winced. It was weird hearing something that made no sound, but the thing in the other room was definitely agitated, and it hurt. For a moment, she worried it might cause actual damage. Yeah, well, I guess a honeymoon is a good reason to take time off, the girl said. She tried unsuccessfully to sound like she didn't care, but a faint quiver in her voice told Janelle otherwise. Yes, well, Janelle said, clearing her throat. They've been engaged for a while now. They had to get married eventually. Two years, apparently, the girl said, a bit snidely. Not that I knew about that until, what, a week ago? Dr. White never told you about Rick? That surprised Janelle. She'd walked in for her shift many times to see the doctor in the girls' room, chatting animatedly about many different topics. Nope, 
the girl replied, popping the pea with extra emphasis. The thing howled. Excuse me, I'll be right back, Janelle said, hopping to her feet and quickly walking out the door, locking it behind her. The thing was swirling in the observation room, sickly reds and gray blues. It throbbed against the glass, and despite the lack of physical form, all Janelle saw was slime and sickness. She gagged and clenched her thumbs tightly in an effort to keep from losing the contents of her stomach. She dashed to the various monitors, taking in the readings. None of it made any sense, but she was just a grad student helping with classified research, and this was way outside of anything she knew to deal with. She picked up the phone and dialed Dr. Hino. Hey, uh... His voice was slurred, and she could hear the sounds of early morning traffic, or perhaps late Saturday night traffic, in the background. How's my favorite grad? The thing is going apeshit, she replied, breathing slowly in an attempt to control her stomach. And the source isn't giving me much to work with. You're not, you're not supposed to be talking to it, he replied, still sounding far too muddled. Just leave it alone. You don't understand, Janelle said, just shy of shouting. The metrics are off the chart, and I'm feeling seriously affected here. You'll be fine. I'll come in in the morning. I need you now, asshole, she replied, but the phone was already dead. She slammed the handset back into its cradle, feeling a tiny bit of satisfaction at the loud noise. After a moment of deep breaths, she headed back to the cell. The girl was looking at her curiously when she re-entered. You don't look too good, she said, eyeing Janelle with trepidation as the woman gingerly walked to the chair. It's a bit rough right now, Janelle admitted. That's why I came in the first place, to see what was up. They weren't supposed to interact with the source, and they certainly weren't supposed to talk about the thing with it. But Janelle was seriously considering calling Hino's boss if she couldn't get the situation fixed, because everything was fucked and she didn't want to spend the next six hours vomiting. I'm fine, the girl insisted, huddling further into the sweater. You're not, Janelle accused. You're upset and it has something to do with Dr. White. She gagged as the noise seemed to scrape along her sinuses. Oh no, don't you dare throw up in here, the girl said, finally escaping her swaddling to back away from the woman. You get to walk out of here, and even if you clean it, I'll still be able to smell it. Janelle swallowed thickly a few times. Tell me what's going on with you and White. Nothing, the girl insisted. I just don't appreciate being lied to. Janelle just stared at her. I will throw up in here if you don't tell me. The girl looked at her aghast, and then crumbled. I thought she liked me, she said softly. The shrieking stopped. Or rather, it mutated. A low, continuous moan filled Janelle's senses, overwhelming her with sadness in addition to the nausea that refused to dissipate. Dr. White does like you, Janelle said after a moment. She's always happy to talk to you, and you always seem to have really good conversations. That's what I thought, too, the girl said, wrapping her arms around her knees. But then how come I didn't know about what's-his-name? Why would she talk to me about herself and not mention she's fucking engaged? Janelle had to physically stop herself from smacking her forehead with her palm. Oh my god, she said. You like her. The girl rolled her eyes. Well, yeah, I thought we were friends. Of course I like her. No, I mean you like her like her. The moan softened even further. Janelle would actually have liked to see what the thing was doing in the other room, but she couldn't go see without leaving, and that didn't seem like the right move. I'm not an idiot, the girl finally said, blinking rapidly. I know she didn't like me that way. Hell, I'm a fucking lab rat. She probably doesn't even think I'm human enough to be her friend. A tear escaped anyway, despite the girl's best efforts. Janelle could feel the melancholy ripping at her insides, which wasn't helping with the urge to vomit. 
It just made her want to cry into a toilet. But yeah, the girl finished. I guess I did like her. And then I found out she was a fucking liar. And I guess that does make me an idiot. You're not an idiot for having feelings, Janelle replied after a moment. Everyone gets them, unless they have mental health issues. The girl scoffed. Yeah, well, not everyone's emotions create psychic phenomena that affects everyone around them. And I fucking knew better, and I fell anyway. Janelle wanted to reach out to touch the girl, but she wasn't even supposed to be talking to her, let alone touching her. So instead, she offered a sympathetic, and slightly sickly, smile. That's the shitty thing about feelings. We can't control when we do, and don't have them, she said. Sometimes we fall for people we shouldn't. Sometimes those people hurt us, even if they don't mean to. The girl sniffed, wiping her eyes and nose with the sleeve of her sweater. I know, she said. I just wish it hadn't happened. I wish I could make it stop. It'll get better, Janelle promised. Eventually, it will. The girl gave her a look that said she knew exactly how full of shit Janelle was. Janelle cleared her throat, standing again. Do you need anything? I can probably sneak you some tea or cocoa. The girl shook her head. I'm okay. Get back to your stuff. Not knowing what else to say, Janelle left. A lowing filled her as she left the room, and she turned to look at the glass as soon as she locked the door. The thing had given the impression of retreating, a dark purple nexus in the glass. It pulsed, slowly, and streaks of blood red ran through it. It looked wounded. Janelle sank to the floor and sobbed, fingers curled up in her hair, pulling at the roots in a vain attempt to cause some external pain that could outstrip the agony on the inside. Her chest felt as if the thing were reaching in and scooping out her heart, her lungs, her stomach. Help! She gasped, spasms racking her body as she tried to reach the phone. Oh God, help me! Everything was being torn from her, all the water and air and nutrients that gave her life. Her hands twisted in the air as she grasped at nothing. She was gutted, eviscerated, her insides displayed as openly as if she were cut open. All that was good in her was sucked out as she wailed in grief. When Dr. Hino walked in that afternoon, Janelle's body was already cold. The girl sat on her cot, staring listlessly at the blank walls that surrounded her, unaware of anything outside her contained realm. The thing pulsed against the glass. A silent shriek filled the air. Yes! God, that was... I love that story. So good. I love that your new monster isn't even a monster, it's emotion. Yeah. It feels... It's shit we all have to deal with. The horror of being a teenage girl. <laughs> and then projecting that shit willy-nilly without having any control over it. The, yeah. Like, that idea in itself, without even seeing what the monster can do, is scary to me because... I, I don't have the best feelings at all times. Feelings suck. I can't imagine if I walked through a room and projected my melancholy at all, <laughs> onto other people like that. That would be pretty awful. I think I'd probably prefer to be in a cell, maybe. You know. But. Yeah. And I like that, um, you know, Janelle's trying to make it better. It's got that bureaucracy. It's got the element of the realness of, like, if you were a grad student, if you were doing this type of study. And she's just trying to make it better. She's just trying to connect with, like, a teenage girl who's got a psychic projection of all of her feelings it is apparently a murder machine but like <laughs> you know she, she she dies horribly yeah she does and really horribly the girl doesn't even know that she's just done that and there's no helping it and like it just there's like this looming pain and sadness in this entire story that you don't give us a way out of yeah i what i think is almost 
worse than not being an escape from it is the idea that there's a person who's causing all of this, right? The, the little girl, or the little girl, the teenager is young adult, young lady, is causing all of the suffering on the people that are watching her, but she's also going through some weird suffering that they, they are causing her by <laughs> making her be the subject to this psychologist, psychiatrist, doctor, white, yeah. you know, whatever, who's playing her. But, so she's trapped in this and has no way out of it, regardless. But she doesn't even know that she's causing that harm. And But uh, the idea that it's, like, set up to be that way, and that someone is approving of this, that, like, yeah, we actually want the fallout. They're, they're waiting for that fallout, yeah. you know? It reminds me of, like, Joss Whedon's Cabin in the Woods. Where it's like, you've got these structures that are built in to cause some amount of horror and pain yeah. and scare people. And, like, this is the end goal and this is why it's worth it. And, and we don't really get those answers in this story. But I think it's a beautifully written short story that makes you feel very sad for every time. You fall in love with somebody that you can't have. Yeah. Yeah. And I also love the military-esque feel of you come in, it's shift turnover. Mm-hmm. One person doesn't want to deal with the shit. You know, you... Like, yeah, done with this, so over this, leaving you on your own, not even here to help you, even shit's going down, this is bad, we should probably get more protocol here. No, I'm gonna just go. Good luck. Yeah. Peace. Penny <laughs> shift work. I, shift work, yeah. Yeah. I worked at Dunkin' Donuts for a while, oh. and I had to come in at three in the morning. And, oh, three in the morning, so that's when all the sad, yeah, early morning slash late night people would come in and project their emotions. Mm-hmm, but you also have to make donuts. And get their, yeah. And, yeah. yeah. It makes sense. And you get their order wrong and they... They get very sad and they a little bit drunk. Yeah. And then their emotions make a yeah. psychic I monster. I mean, not gonna lie, if I were expecting to get, like, a Cinnabon and then I didn't get the Cinnabon, I'd probably psychically murder someone. <laughs> Just... <laughs> so glad you don't have that capability. Oh, oh man. Yeah. yeah. So much disappointment about... I really like the story. Actually, as far as candidates for what we've written being submitted at the end of the year, I think that one's right up there for me. Yeah, I think it's the most complete yeah that is also the most like i well now i'm not gonna say that you have a bunch of others that i also still want to know more about the world i know uh, the whole but, i still yeah, want to know what the fucking dumbwaiter okay like yeah <laughs> from last episode check in last episode to see about the dumbwaiter uh yeah i hate that too no i do think this is a really solid one though i think this is pretty yeah. much wrapped up in what it is you don't need more but i want a little more mm. but not much more i read a whole book about it I want a whole book of, like, short stories in the same world Ooh. with other things. Maybe some people are free and have the same. <laughs> Your eyes just cross. I just watched them go, whoop, cross. It's because <laughs> a little bit of fluff just came down and I was like, I figured. Oh, is it down? Yeah. Yeah, just perfect timing right when I glance and whoop. Yeah, I want a whole world of short stories. Or I want that whole world to exist in short stories. That'd be cool. I think it's really interesting. All right. What's your story? Oh, she's sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, so I think probably the strongest influence on this was um, The Girl with All the Gifts mm. by Mike Carey. Which I still haven't read. It's fantastic. Too, yeah. Did you see the movie? Yeah. I didn't know it was on the Yeah, they didn't promote it at all. Huh. Um, and it was it was decent. Um, You've told me about it, though, and I know, but I yeah. want to read it. So yeah. It's up there. Um. Because you know, like, right from the beginning that it's about, a, you know, it opens up with a bunch of these kids that are being experimented on and they're being treated as less than human. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was definitely part of part of the influence. I very specifically did not give the girl a name. Yeah. Um, because, because it's 
she's important as the source of of the psychic monster. The psychic but, monster gets more attention than she does. Yeah, because that's what they're interested in. Yeah. They're not interested in who she is as a person. Um, with that being said, also, I... I did not write it with the idea. I, so I thought it was interesting that you both kind of read into it this way. Um, Dr. White's not manipulating her. I didn't think she was. I, yeah, she's just being friendly. Originally I hadn't read it as that, but I thought I remembered you telling me that it was kind of a manipulation. So I guess I misremembered. Yeah. Because I, I originally thought that like I wouldn't go into a room and tell a person with the ability to kill things with their emotions my personal life. But is this her I first? is this her first kill? You know, like, do they yeah. do they just know that, That's like, fair. this giant psychic projection is doing weird things? It's They're trying to measure, they're trying to read it. I imagine it's not her first kill, because I imagine it's a small child if she had this from youth. Ooh. Like, the the fear and confusion a small child could project. Like, I yeah. imagine they found her because of something. Oh, yeah. I, my, my... She looks so sad, Brenna. My <laughs> impression is that she's, she's killed before. Yeah. Um, and... And that's why she she's now in a research facility on a university campus that's locked down with because they're doing classified research for the government. I so. love that it's a university campus and that they have like this level of thing you think, you know, from cinema and from books. It should be like lock and key government facility. But instead it's a college campus because well, at least we have a lab there. Let's get college students to study this and help us write the paper like meh. It makes me think of Fringe. For yeah, one that's actually what I was just thinking. It's like, yeah, oh, you know, it kind of reminds me of Fringe. We just need a cow. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure I could do that. Um, but yeah, I, I liked. I went when I was thinking of a new monster. At first, the prompt was like, I have no idea how I would create a monster. I feel like all monsters have already been created, pretty much. Like. We've been creating monsters for millennia. It's yeah. like, is there really anything new? And I'm sure this isn't entirely new either, but it was something that I I don't think I've ever really read before. Yeah. Personifications of someone's emotions. And I, I also wanted to play a little bit in that, like, Lovecraftian space of... It's like, it has a form, but it is an, a physical form. It's yeah. impressions. Everything that it is, is impressions. So you have the the noise that you hear on the inside and you it's like when you look you're not actually seeing anything because but but you still look and you're like but i see blues and greens it's like i wanted that idea of of that that the physical manifestation of emotions was present and not present it's the kind of thing that you you can't really see but you but you can yeah um a noise scraping along one's sinuses doesn't seem like it should make any sense, and yet mm, <laughs> it makes me think the way orange tastes. <laughs> and then, yeah, you definitely played with all the senses in that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was actually rereading it now and reading it aloud. Um, I I had a lot of fun writing it and a lot of fun reading it, like the different weight. Like, the different aspects of her nausea. <laughs> mm. She had a lot of versions of nausea, yeah. Um, and when you when you pointed out the the um, scraping against the sinuses, like, I really liked writing that line. Like, I was happy, I was really happy with that line. <laughs> yeah. Because it, it, it is of such a, a visceral reaction as you can imagine it. 
Yeah, and immediately, yeah, it immediately goes to the body. So you start to feel it, but then you think of what does that sound like? What does that, like, taste like and smell like? You try to think of the other Mm -hmm. way to approach all those things. I like that it has a synesthetic quality to it. Yeah. So I I I enjoyed writing this one. Um, Certainly, I I don't know anyone who hasn't experienced the emotions that this girl was feeling in some aspect. Yeah. So I, I also felt like it was... Just a little bit relatable. <laughs> yeah, it definitely yeah. is. If you're a teenage girl, or if you've ever been a teenage girl, I think especially. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyone who's been a teenage girl. Yeah, but, but also pretty much anyone who's ever fallen for someone who yeah. who doesn't love them back. I know we don't rate our stories, but I'm going to rate your story. I'm giving you seven out of seven cats. <laughs> like that's how many you need to cuddle to recover from the feels. Yeah, still okay. kind of, I okay. really just want to touch my cat right now. I feel so sad. <laughs> All right, seven out of seven. Yeah, I think that one is you should keep in the list of runnings for the end of year revisal. Yeah. Well, when when we get to that point, we'll have an entire episode where we will discuss. Ooh, Ooh yeah, that's a good idea. Special, which we already had planned. Yeah, yeah, Not totally intentional. This is not on the fly, you guys. Nope. We're doing it. Having a whole episode to discuss things. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, at this point, it'll be next December. So. Because it'll be after we hit our year mark. Next December? Not like this coming oh, I, December? This coming December. Okay, I was like, holy shit, next like, December. How do we slow down? Time. Except we'll probably have to record it. Oh, Jesus. When we actually like meet the end of our requirement which is in like july because <laughs> that's, that's true because then yeah because then we'll yeah. be entering mm-hmm. and editing and yeah that's fair bonus yeah Ooh, we might be slightly out of order but the listeners will never know mm-hmm. they'll know only because you're telling them stop telling them things you're on cover your recording. ears listeners cover your ears <laughs> They don't need to know everything we do, all right? Get back in the closet. I was in her closet. I require a separate You've got closet. your own closet. Oh, I do? Yeah. Oh, when did I get my own? Oh. You know I'm a Virgo. I like to keep oh, things organized. Nice. <laughs> anyway, yep, you sorry. can uncover your ears. We're back to the podcast now. <laughs> uh, so, now it's me. And Who's I just crinkled my paper really loudly. Who's me? You know who I am. Just say your goddamn name. She is. This is Reagan. My prompt that I chose of yours. That was way too enthusiastic. My prompt? <laughs> I chose... That one's going in the bloopers. <laughs> Damn it. Every time. Every time. You will get no music out of me. Bullshit. I chose the prompt for Someone Falls in Love. <laughs> Which I did not think I was going to choose, and then it just ended up happening, and I got really into it. Anyway. So, yeah. And my title, because I don't title, is... Someone falls in love. It's the prompt. (laughs) Moving on. Sydney was born late in the morning on August 9th, 1984. Her parents would go on to say that they knew immediately she was special. She had that special something. A star-like quality that radiated from her little body and glittered behind her eyes. Before the chaos of puberty, her hair had been sleek, straight, and black as the night sky. As she aged, she lost much of her shine, got rough around the edges from life's abuse, had a curl to her hair and to her shoulders and spine, a hunched, protective shell from the world. The only thing that had ever brought her true happiness, that kind that washes through every atom in the body and nullifies all worries, was when she looked up at the stars. 
They never lied, and they were dependable, true to their steady cycle up in the sky. All except for one, Rx Ophiakai. But Sydney didn't know about Rx Oph for many years. They would watch each other for decades, across light years, across time. Neither star nor girl would recognize what it was, what subtle twinkle that always caught their attention, not for decades of a girl's time. In the small hours of the pre-dawn morning of August 9, 1984, an astronomer studying the Kepler supernova in the Ophiuchus constellation noticed what appeared to be an entirely new star. This star glittered and twinkled with so much life that the astronomer thought they were about to witness another supernova. Certain that this must have been a previously less noteworthy star about to shift into the next phase of its life-death-life cycle, the astronomer called for their team and began poring over charts, trying to identify the star. They were flummoxed. They could find no star unaccounted for in that region. By the following nightfall, when Ophiuchus slowly climbed into the night sky, the new star was twinkling still, though it had calmed. It was designated Rxof. Ever since its discovery in 84, the mysterious star had baffled astronomers. Its home constellation of Ophiuchus had been noted for centuries already, its diverse children ranging from Bernard's star, the closest star after Alpha Centauri and Proxima Centauri, and NGC 6240 a stunning merger remnant, starburst galaxy with binary supermassive black holes circling at its center, and of course the Kepler supernova. Its depth and breadth had been explored from one era to the next, since its origins as a Mesopotamian snake goddess to the currently recognized Greek figure wrestling the giant serpent. Yet nothing in the vast history of a serpent constellation had proven so stunning, so confounding, so inexplicable as the sudden appearance of the variable star RxO. Sydney was a child of varying moods. When her mother was feeling spiteful over her lot in life, she would hurl insults at the child, just words on the best of days, but insults in the guise of thick-bottomed glass bottles on other days. She said Sydney must have been born under a bad star. The more Sydney twinkled, the angrier her mother got. Her father had abandoned them some time ago. Sydney never knew the real reason why, only that her mother blamed it on her. Sydney curled her shoulders up around her ears and waded out the storms. She could be hard if she needed to be. What she wanted to be, though, was soft and shimmering like the light of the moon, sharp and sure like the pinprick stars. She would sneak out her window and climb across the big old tree whose limbs bridged the gap between house and garage. There, atop the chilled garage roof, she would watch the stars dance overhead. If she watched long enough, she felt she could dance with them in slow circles. She could feel the hum of their burning hearts, uncomprehendingly far away. Variable stars were expected to change. It was in their name. Unlike most, which faded out in cold deaths or grew ever brighter as they neared supernova extinctions, Rxof appeared to be both, and neither. It pulsed, its rhythms arcing across decades, and then mere months, and then decades again. After many years of monitoring the star, amateurs and hobbyists had taken to setting the pulses to music. Asteroseismology, which hinged on monitoring the light oscillations emanating from stars, had grown in popularity after the first Voyager findings were transformed from visual to audio. The steady droning and warbling songs of the stars were so strange and so familiar, like the womb, like the ocean. They are home and they are not. Rxof's variable patterns were likened to the slow heartbeat of a resting giant, and so it was often called the lover's star, or the sleeping heart. Sydney hated everything. She wasn't aware of the droning song of the universe. All she knew was that she despised her parents and she couldn't trust her friends. People lied, people betrayed, people abandoned. 
She forgot about the stars for a time while she lost herself in bottles and the rush of loud noise and angry people. She managed to graduate high school, but college was proving too much. In 2007, Sydney was failing her junior of a go-nowhere degree, had suffered another horrible breakup, and was sent to rehab after a drunk driving incident nearly took the life of a mother-to-be. It was then, on the cusp of 23 years of life, that she found the stars again. It was then that she found Rx Ophiakai in the enthusiastic BuzzFeed articles and the Reddit threads, in the YouTube recommending videos, and the Pinterest explosions. Rx Oph had become a popular subject, its epitaphs as familiar as the Dippers and Orion. In 2007, scientists were able to prove with certainty that RxOf's confusing variable light emissions were not the result of eclipsing gas clouds, intergalactic asteroid bodies, or dark matter. The star not only twinkled in its own right, but it seemed to be physically fluctuating as well. On the cusp of new findings surrounding black holes, it was theorized that RxOf wasn't a star at all, that it was a bubble of time, a wormhole. They theorized that it wasn't the fluctuations of a star, but all the light of the universe on the other side of that strange-looking glass. The sleeping heart was the potential of everything humans had ever known and more. With the hope that came of this discovery was also panic. RxOf was no longer stable. It warped and shimmered and appeared on the verge of collapse. Its song was erratic and heartbreaking, the keening of a wounded thing. Sydney spent her six months in the rehab facility with stoic resolve. Every night, she stared up into the sky until she was too cold, too tired. Then she would return to her bed, headphones on, and drift to sleep listening to the comforting hums and trills of Rx Ophiakai. Sometimes, she dreamed that it was a person beside her, murmuring into her ear, letting her know that it would be alright, that she was not alone, that she was loved and she was safe. She was one of billions who downloaded the tracks, and yet she felt they were meant for her and her alone. When she rested her hand over her heart, it was as if it beat in time with the distant star, the lover star. She didn't have a mind for numbers. She didn't have a steady work history, but she knew that she had to understand the distant phenomenon that kept her afloat. She returned to college and applied herself with a determination she had never had before. As she made her way through one degree and into another, she kept close watch over the fluctuating RX off. It had stabilized after the panic of 2007, though its mysteries were still refusing astronomers and science at large. Sydney thought it was simply waiting for her to ask the right questions. Silly as it was, that thought kept her going. She didn't want to disappoint her one and only constant friend. In 2015, Sydney was taken on board the Ophiuchus Infinite mission as an intern, so she could finish her thesis on the life and changes of Rx Ophiuchi. Her dedicated focus to the star made her an able addition to the team, and after her graduation, she was made a permanent member. Though she lacked the experience and knowledge of her co-workers, most of which eclipsed her by decades, it would not be argued that Sydney had a keen intuition about their target of research. She seemed to know the whims of the star so intimately that she was dubbed the Sleeping Heart Whisperer. On days where the teasing grew tiresome, Sydney thought the star twinkled especially bright. She would look up at it in the darkness, bundled in her oversized sweater, and she would glare back into its mirth. She would tell it that it wasn't helping, and to stop looking so pleased with itself. It would wink back at her. She couldn't remember when she'd started doing it, but talking to the star was a natural part of her daily routine now. She would wake up to the music of Rx Ophiakai droning through her headphones, and she would hum her appreciation to it, like two sleepy lovers grumbling affectionately as they woke to the day, woke to find one another there side to side. She would drink her coffee and check her emails, chatting idly to herself, to the star, as she considered her notes. She didn't even need to see the star to feel it there, feel its pull across the galaxy and beyond the heliosheath. 
beyond the cold, empty chasms of intergalactic space and past countless other whirling galaxies. Eyes closed, she could tilt her head up to the sky, and smiling, she could point to the heart. She felt it as clearly as she felt the breeze, the pull of gravity, the warmth of the sun. It was pure, and it was natural, and it was love. She would lift her eyes to the blue morning sky, gaze to the horizons, blink through the clouds and the glare of the sun and the migrating geese, and she would smile into the obscured twinkle of Rx of Fiakai, knowing in a way she couldn't explain that it smiled back. They were like a married couple in ways. They knew one another's patterns, had grown to mirror each other in strange ways. In tracing the heart's history back, she realized that they had always mirrored one another. Their lives had run concurrently. She had found her purpose in the study of Rx Elf, and the star had grown brilliant and beautiful and steady under her attentions. Its unexpected stability gave the astronomers an unprecedented chance to study the strange dilation phenomenons around it. They were still decades away from truly grasping what it was, proving or disproving the wormhole theories. The discoveries were sending ripples of change into every facet of a scientific community. It altered the underlying principles of time and space in a way that caused rifts in logic and threatened to erase centuries of accepted knowledge. However, the heart was not inclined to offer clarification. Year 8 of the Ophiuchus Infinite mission was the final year. Quite suddenly, one February evening, the heart seemed to spike and flare. All readings showed signs of radical change in its stability. The team was frantic, trying to make sense of the sudden shift in behavior, but none more so than Sydney. She stared up at the monitors, confused, afraid. It was as if the heart were angry, or frightened, hurting, lashing out. She couldn't decide. Whatever it was, it broke her heart. She spent weeks poring over data, trying to match it to previous flux cycles, but none were so catastrophic as this, not even the 2007 event. She could find no familiar postmarks in its readings, and its song had grown shrill and almost unrecognizable. After a month of tireless, fruitless efforts by the Infinite team, Sydney collapsed. Her co-workers found her unconscious beside her terminal, and she was rushed to the hospital. She assured the doctors it was just exhaustion. She was overworked. She was released. RxOf's fluctuations had slowed, no longer flashing and spiking hundreds of cycles a minute. Now, they made great, sweeping shifts across several hours, wide and slow, heavy and sorrowful somehow. Sydney found herself watching the readings, no longer trying to work. She couldn't focus. There was just something buzzing in her thoughts. Not a sound or a feeling, but a knowing, a ticking, a gnawing. She had never felt so alone, so estranged and alien. Her co-workers bustled around her in a chaos that she couldn't be part of, and all the while, the heart was slipping away from her. She couldn't comprehend it. Over a solemn smoke break, a co-worker started rambling about how sad it all was, that whatever event they were witnessing had probably already climaxed in the heart's death decades ago, well before they had ever witnessed it for the first time in 84. Their treasure trove of data in the wormhole was never to be, because it was already gone, and they were simply vultures picking at the carcass of a star's memory cast in light. Sydney broke down. Her grief and defiance were irrational, she knew, but she had lost control. She was sent home after punching her coworker and destroying a computer terminal. Due to the immense stress the team was working under, her actions were overlooked, though she was put on temporary leave. At home, she collapsed a second time, and then a third. After a brief stay in the hospital and a battery of tests that had her feeling thin and weak, Sydney was diagnosed with a brain tumor that was inoperable. She had only a matter of weeks to live. She felt betrayed. She had found her purpose after such a wasted youth, and she was doing what she was needed to do. It didn't make sense that it should end. It wasn't right. She felt heartbroken. 
First the heart was leaving her, and now she wasn't even going to be given a chance to witness its final moments. She was dying too. She spent her nights staring up into the expanse of the universe, watching the familiar twinkle of Rx Ophiakai, now readily visible to the human eye with its mounting flares. Perhaps it was fitting that they should die together, Sydney realized. They had been born together, or at least discovered and born together. She thought back to the conversation with her co-worker and realized that she didn't really want to pick at the heart's remnants. Her existence would be so much lonelier after the heart had gone. She considered that her confidant had known she was dying, known that she would die this way, looking up at it. Centuries before she was even a hopeful thought in her mother's sleeping mind, the heart had known that she would live and she would die. The massive life events of the stars defied time, and she thought that perhaps it was possible to love not only across vast physical distances, but across eons, across immeasurable mutations of reality. She didn't know what was on the other side of the heart's dilation phenomenon. She didn't know if it was truly a wormhole, another universe, another time. She didn't care. Sydney knew that whatever it was, it had loved her, and she had loved it. She couldn't say for sure if the brilliant colors and radiating shape she witnessed in the sky that night were the true implosion event of RxO, or if the tumor had caused oral hallucinations as it pressed against the hemispheres of her brain. All she knew was that it was a beautiful gift, and within a week she passed away in her sleep with a soft smile and her face tilted to the horizon, towards the stars, and towards her heart. Aw, oh, man. <laughs> so... Uh... Your story is very sad. Yeah. But it's it's probably one of my favorite that you've written. Yeah. Mm. Um, Such a sucker for the romance. And the stars. Yeah. I nerded out hard on this one. And I'm sorry if my pronunciation is shite, but I did do a lot of reading while I wrote this one. Yeah. And, and you can tell that like the passion you feel for the subject definitely came through. And I think that that gives that gives it a, a tinge, a an emotion that's threaded through it that is is not always part of of people's stories. Yeah, it's like when people write about things they're truly passionate about, you can always tell. I think it's also like especially sad because it is so complete, and because like she had a shit life, and she's like this fucked up kid, this fucked up person, cleans herself up, has passion, doesn't have a happy ending. Yeah, she loves the star, but, like, it's just, it's all so sad. <laughs> and then, like, the star isn't even at the same time. That's what always depresses me about the I stars. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, I get all. I mean, that was me as a kid sitting on the rooftop staring at the stars every night until I was too tired and too cold. And I'd be like, okay, well, now there's too many scorpions up here with me. I'm going to just go inside. Yeah. Because I've swatted your way three and I'm uncomfortable. But stars, got you. <laughs> That's a great story. I used to love to to get on my roof at night. I'd pop my screen out and climb up there and just lay on my roof and look at the stars. I did the same thing. Actually, my family had a telescope, too, when I was in high school, and I would, like, literally chart the moon cycles. That was really fun. I never did anything that fancy. I had one project in elementary school where I had to chart moon cycles, but it was, like, one-time thing. And it was right around Haley Bob. Haley. Yeah, Haley's yeah, I remember watching and charting that same week. Nice. I have a cousin whatever. named that because of the comet. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. When did they start? I wonder. Stars a little close to home. Uh, yeah, I just... And I don't even remember now which story I originally wanted to do. I think I wanted to do a new monster. But somehow in thinking about... I was like, what would I write about if I wrote about love? And it ended up just... I don't know happening at the right time, I guess. So I must have been thinking about stars or reading a book about black holes 
or something, but it, it ended up with this. Yeah, I like it. I wanted to do a story about the point of view of the reader, and I did not do that <laughs> at all. I did that idea made me too uncomfortable. I didn't want to do that one. Guess what, reader? Well, You're going along with me. I wanted to do, so I had this idea of like both falling in love and the reader because like a reader falling in love with the book but from the point of view of the reader but then I started writing it and I hated it and I was like nope so I knew I wasn't touching that one with a 10-foot pole (laughs) um because it's actually a thing that people do online um where when they write fan fiction Mm. is is in order to be like it's you the reader paired with this character and and I'm sure it can it could be done really well, but I okay. I just had that connotation. I was like, I'm not touching no. this. Yeah, that's uncomfortable. I wanted it to be like you, the reader, falling in love with your favorite book. I and like it wasn't, that more and it than wasn't where my brain went with that. Yeah, it wasn't like it wasn't like oh, I'm imagining myself with this character, or I've got like a huge crush. Like I've totally done that. Like I was a teenage girl who read Tolkien. If you think I didn't love a Hobbit, you are fucked up. <laughs> You love the Hobbits. Oh my god, yeah. They were the best. <laughs> no. Oh my god, Mary Doc. Strider. Hands All down. the way, Strider. Okay, Strider's pretty chill. Come on. All right, anyway. Like, I've definitely fallen in love with the character, but that wasn't what I wanted to Hobbit. do for the story. Brenna okay. <laughs> Pippin and Mary are, like, my favorite, okay? Mary, if you have to go Hobbit. If you have to go, no, if you have to go Hobbit, like, and you get to pick one, Mary Doc, hands down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah he at least can swim. As we've entirely anyway. di- like side derailed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In this week's episode, you get to find out the secret Tolkien loves of <laughs> the CWC. <laughs> Jesus. Well, what's yours? I don't have one. Oh. You have to at least pick one. You have to, like you don't you even like throw a little you like a little even star? Huh? I'll be even star. Well, no. Nah, I no. didn't. Anyone was way better. I, no. There were Galadriel. Okay, Galadriel's a badass. Well, when it comes to the to the movies, Galadriel all the way, uh, no question. I'm but talking she, books. I'm talking about. Doesn't matter. Mm. Doesn't matter. She's well, just by her match. choices. All right, fair. But I, I just remember even at even when I first read them, even though I hadn't really come out yet to myself, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I I just I I already was not interested in dudes at all. So I just reading it, it was like I liked. I liked, I liked Aragorn. I like, I, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I guess. But it wasn't at all like I felt romantic about him. Mm. He was just the character that I liked. Well, so now, adult brain Amy, which one ooh. would you pick? Well, which hold on, Tolkien hold on. Character? Adult Brenna would probably choose a different character. You as well. are locked in hard. I'm you locked in. Into that Hobbit. Apparently, I love that <laughs> Hobbit. Well, adult adult Amy has seen the movies <laughs> and has, as previously stated, picked Gladriel. Okay, bullshit. Yeah. I mean, even as a kid, I'm like, oh, these characters are great, but I mean, even straight brained Ra- Reagan, even straight Reagan is like Gladriel. Gladriel, though, she's the boss. She is. I really like that, though. Like, instead of just describing yourself as straight or bi straight or, or lesbian, <laughs> just be like, hi, I'm straight brained. <laughs> hi, I'm bi brained. How are I'm you? Uh, um, anyway, sorry. We sorry. Yeah, we, we distract. But you know, it works out perfectly because I wrote a love story and it's queer. So, shuffling. I also wanted to say earlier that in reading the stories back to back, I realized how many sensory and color words we both use, and like oral things and flares and the music of it. 
that made me think a lot of your story, Amy. Because uh, I realize the viewers don't know who I'm talking to when I'm pointing at a person. Mm-hmm. Pointing at Amy. <laughs> viewers, to Amy. Reagan's knife hand to Amy. Uh, <laughs> don't knife hand me. <laughs> I thought there was a lot of overlap in both. Like, it's, it's clear to me that you two are roommates. Because even when you don't talk about your stories, you get exactly the same things and themes in your stories. Like, you guys... Not exactly. Okay, this week... You both had hearts, and you are original, but you both had hard sensory stories. You both had main characters as little girls or teenage girls with big sweaters, being all slouchy and emo. Just saying. (laughs) And they were both gray sweaters, guys. Mine was bundled in the sweater. Okay. Mine was doing the whole, like, sweater over the knees thing. She was cocooned in an oversized. Mine was wearing a normal size bundled in I believe if you check your work, you said oversized. I don't remember. I think I did. You did. This will take way too long to find. Yeah, we'll do it later. Anyway, one of us is right. <laughs> okay, well, either way, sweaters happen and love. Sweaters and love. Sweaters and love. That's how you know. Okay, I think that's the name of our episode. <laughs> sweaters and love. <laughs> um, so I wrote a queer love story, and I called mine the beginning of a love story. He stood in denim that was probably too tight, at the bar, under yellow lamplight, and in a sickly but completely recognizable cigarette haze. The bourbon he was drinking stuck to his lips, making him savor what he didn't appreciate. Bourbon was too sweet for him. Then, the electric pulsing of the bass on the loudspeaker droning on, finally, there he was. He, the man who would come in every third Saturday after 9.30pm, paid in cash, and used different generic names every time he was in, standing in full dark leather and denim, a plaid button-down, and a, could we call it comfortable, look in his eyes as he sidled up to the bar that he'd been to for nigh on four months. The bartender, Jared, knew his drink and slid him a whiskey as he approached. He was across the horseshoe bar from William, who had been studying him too closely. Jared and he said a few words, and then, as if in a scene from an American film, he moved as if on cue across the old leather and wood of the horseshoe bar to stand in front of William. Hey, Hello. No. He paused, stroked his beard once, and made eye contact. Hey, you've been here almost every time I have all summer. Hey, we're practically old friends now, right? Are we? Are we what? Old friends? We are! And he moved in closer. The music is too loud. William turned away, smelling this other man's cologne, knowing he was at least ten years younger and several points on an attractive scale below his bearded counterpart, fearing that he was being made fun of. The air around them practically pulsed with share and club romance. So, the bearded and handsome man said, putting his hand gingerly on William's arm. The music is loud, and the men are quiet. Okay. William half smiled, cringing at the thought of what this must look like. The men here are usually pretty forward, he said, possibly too quietly. It's kind of a meat market. You met Martha? No, it, it's a meat market. I don't know Martha. You don't do normal? What? The low dubbing pulse of the music in the club persisted, and the two men standing near each other and almost touching, the moment stretched towards awkward. Okay, the bearded unnamed man said. So, whatever. You don't do normal. My name isn't normal, so I should be all right. I'm Michael, by the way. Uh, hi, Michael. I, uh, I, I don't know if you... But I, I've... But, you know, I kind of don't like Cher or Miley. William's face drew in contemplatively, and he said, That's pretty much all they play here. 
I've seen you come in almost every third week, so... Almost every third, Michael trailed. Yeah, and always during the peak dancing times, looking well-dressed and smelling good. You come in, you have one drink here at the bar, and then move out to the floor, and yet you never follow. I, I what? You never follow me out to dance, so I'm trying something new. What? Why would I? I can't dance. I mean, and you didn't ask me. Also, I... You're trying something new? Yes, I, uh, yes. Michael smiled broadly, and William noticed his dimples for the first time. I kind of don't care if you're hard to hit on. I have noticed you for a while, and I wanted to talk to you, so if you're not a dancer, then I'll just come chat you up here. William turned his face down, almost flinching, almost blushing, and rather than respond to the handsome, perfumed, and bearded man in front of him, he threw back the last of his drink and hurried to the bathroom. As soon as he was there, he regretted it. The bathroom in a gay bar is no space for solace or reflection. Under the fluorescent light, he looked older than he usually did. He washed his hands while still pondering what to do next, and then returned to the bar, surprised to see Michael still standing there, waiting. "'Yeah, I don't like all the share they play here. Like, we can't listen to or dance to anything else?' Michael smiled, just resuming the conversation as if nothing had happened. "'What kind of music do you like?' That's it. I still... That was really... <laughs> I still find myself grinning at this one. I do note that it's harder to hear and parse the conversation happening yeah. than it is to read it. Again, we, we did this mostly to be uh, read first, yeah, and yeah. now we're reading it aloud, um, and that's much more difficult. But either way, listener, it's adorable. They're adorable. They just make me grin. And <laughs> the bathroom of a gay bar being no place for i immediately just picture like neon spray painting graffiti layer over layer over layer i'm picturing places i've been to in hawaii with oh, just yeah there's like so probably not even bathroom writing. stall doors There's, no no yeah. honestly it was, was implied otherwise it is a place of color and commentary <laughs> as as soon as he said that I, my mind immediately was like is there some dude getting a blow job in the corner like because <laughs> because i i don't know yeah, yeah. I was like, if you go in there because you want to breathe and have some space, and you walk in, and there's that's the only that's happening, and you're just so like, that's what's happening there, yeah, fuck, yeah. I mean, like every gay bar bathroom that I've been to, and this includes lesbian bars, like this is just straight queer bar standard. It's like, okay, you might have a stall door. If you're everything will be made of plywood. It's probably like not painted well. It's not cleaned. Um. It's, it's going to be quiet, and it's not, like, people are, like, queuing. There, there's there's no room for reflection there. Yeah, I, that immediately made me chuckle. Yeah. You went there and immediately it was like, no, why? But now you can't just bounce back out. You have to at least spend a couple, like, minutes in there. Otherwise, it's awkward. Right. You left to came right back, and what do you do? Yeah. Uh, and I love all the references to things that... You don't describe the space, you don't describe the bar, but you describe it by saying what things are happening at the bar, by saying, so there's dancing, there's a, there's a U bar, we get that, but then you say, like, the share music, the dub, so I don't necessarily need to have descriptive words, I start filling that in already with all the places I've been that would play Sharon Miley back to back, it's <laughs> yeah. just, it makes you cringe, but also kind of want to dance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they, they're really cute, and... I think it's interesting that obviously he's been paying enough attention to to know that this guy uses a different name mm-hmm. uh, when he comes in. And it's, to me, I was reading it and it was, you know, it's the beginning of a love story. But at the same time, it's like, 
I is it he letting himself trust too much in somebody that he mm. has historically seen lies a lot. Oh, as someone who lies in bars, I actually wrote this. Oh, I, I could see you in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. come on now. Yeah. <laughs> Clear lady, I'm very happy about that. Um, it's like it's. I wrote it from my experience of like the perfect worst meet cute, where it's like you you go to the same place because you're trying to hit on that person or you're interested in that person. And I didn't want to give any description to the space because I wanted it to be like that experience of the only thing you're really paying attention to is, oh my God, did they walk in yet? Oh my God, did they see me? Okay, I overheard this. I know this about them. Did you yeah. see them talk to so-and-so? It okay. does feel like an overheard conversation kind of, yeah. which I like. We don't necessarily get all the information. We don't get all the details. Yeah. But it, and despite that, despite how little details I get, I still found myself grinning. So I still feel some romantic sense from all of that even though it's questionable it's meant to whether be whether or not it's even like is it going to go anywhere it's, it's, it's both of my styles of uh flirting it's really <laughs> i mean honestly i'm either william or michael it's like am i super confident and i'm like right there and i'm like i got glitter in my spine let's go dance mm-hmm. or am i like i need to be awkward and finish this shot and run away thanks bye <laughs> but it's meant to be cute it was cute and that's it. So whose problems are next? Uh, I believe it's, once again, back to me. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like we're always back to you. I feel like I never have to read the prompts. I just must blank them out. You, you read yeah. prompts? You do. I feel like I never you do. do. So every time it's not me, I'm like, woohoo! Is it ever me now? Is it ever? Yeah. It is. <laughs> next yeah. time it is. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the prompts for next time. One. Crash landing on an alien planet. Two. Old school monster trying to survive modern day. Think Penny Dreadful, but 2017. This prompt was written in 2017. <laughs> Three. You can't leave the house. Why? I so. like these prompts. I'm so excited about them. Yes. Also, I will just give you an update, like, um, for the tangential continental. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone has the flu. That's why you've seen a, a slight setback. Yeah. I, oh, also on the front of Tangential Continental, I had pictures I was supposed to be uploading to the Instagram, but because I'm in my thesis year, I've fallen behind. I apologize for the Instagram being a full session behind. I will rectify that soon. There are more pictures, by the way, that will be uploaded from a separate Tangential Continental person. Mm. Yeah. And also, yeah, I should probably tell the Instagram world that we already posted one, an episode, and we're about to post another. <laughs> yeah. By the way, follow us on all the podcasting devices so that when your thesis students fall behind in life, you don't miss out. Yeah. It's true. We don't owe you anything. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, thank you for tuning in, and we will see you in a fortnight. Yeah. Bye. Bye. I should say bye, too. (laughs) Frankenstein. (laughs) Are we, are we already recording? Yeah. You didn't tell me we were recording. You just got all this crap of me on the beginning anyway. That's how she That's how she builds out that blooper reel right there. Oh, nope. I read. Yep. <laughs> that was a sneak peek into the future. Amy's got it down. She yeah, she, she can waggle. I just saw the both of you waggle. Yeah, yeah we, we are I, wagglers. I just think I'm waggle I'm so glad I have all of this. <laughs> God damn it. It's not a song, but you have it. Open <laughs> over. <laughs> Fucker. Oofy kiss. Come take a sip. Libation! You're a fucking fridge man. Pretending to shh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A good gnawing. <laughs> uh.
Genau. <laughs> See? It's going in the pooper. <laughs> I don't even have to try. Ah. <laughs> Just welcome. Blech.